please grab your Bible. Turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6. And today we're going to be looking at two verses. Uh, It's the first two verses that are printed there in your order of worship. We're going to be looking at verse 11 and verse 12. And then next week, we'll actually be looking at verse 11 through verse 16. Uh, And so this will be two weeks looking at this section. So again, this is 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'll begin reading in verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that today you would work in our hearts and our minds. We pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm always struck by the level of apathy that I see sometimes in the American church in particular. Sure, it's not just an American problem, but I think it's especially common in the American church. And it's what we talked about last time, where so often our lives become focused on the accumulation of more, the pursuit of of riches. And you'll remember that in the, the preceding verses from our text today in verse 10, Paul warned Timothy about the love of money, about the desire to be rich and that it can cloud our our thinking. And it was C.S. Lewis who, who said that one of the only things that's worse than hatred is apathy. Because if you hate something, at least you love something, you care about something, but there's something dangerous about apathy. But what we see in our text today is Paul calling Timothy to faithfulness. You'll notice that he calls him a man of God. And that is drawing on Old Testament language of a prophet who's called to proclaim the word of God. But it's also speaking to a sense of ownership, that God owns Timothy, that he's been purchased with a price, that he is not his own, that he belongs in body and soul to his Lord Jesus Christ, who has paid for all of his sins, purchased him for eternal life. And so as a man of God, what is he called to do? And he's not called to be apathetic, to be inactive in his work and his calling, but yet he's called to face the battle of the Christian life. And so what we see here in these two verses is really a form of marching orders that Paul is, is, he knows that hard times are coming for the church. He knows that They're going to face persecution that as the apostles are martyred, by and large, that the church itself is going to be thrown into a period of of idolatry, a period of, of persecution, a period of false teaching. It's going to be a difficult period 
for the church, that it's going, and apathy is not going to work. So he needs these clear marching orders from the Apostle Paul. And that's what we're going to look at today. And we see four marching orders for Timothy, four marching orders. And here's the first marching order that you see in verse 11. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. That's the first marching order to flee. It's a command. And he says, flee these things. And he's talking about the these things of the preceding verses to flee the love of money, to, to flee the desire for riches is the main goal of your life. But of course, Paul uses this same language elsewhere in his letters in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, he tells Timothy to flee youthful passions. In 1 Corinthians 6, he says, flee from sexual immorality. And then unpacking the image a little bit more, later in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 13, he says that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will provi also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And so you see what Paul is saying there, that, that when we face temptation, whatever the temptation is in life, that we have a way of escape. There, there's always an exit when we face the fire of temptation that we can always have a way out. And so he says that when we face the temptation, he says, run away, flee, escape, get out as quickly as you can. And of course, the, the Old Testament imagery for this is found from uh, the book of Genesis chapter 39, You'll remember how Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And he found himself at the home of Potiphar. And in Potiphar's house, he, he worked hard. He was a trusted servant, a trusted slave. But then Potiphar's wife set her eye on Joseph. And she began to, to try to get him to commit adultery. She would come to him over and over again and say, lie with me. And he kept refusing, saying that he couldn't forsake the faithfulness that he was called to. But then finally, she says, it says in the text that she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and, and got out of the house. So there he's, he's running away. It's the, the classic image of fleeing temptation. There is a way of escape. God provided a way of escape in the temptation, and he ran away. He got out as quickly as he could. And some of you may know the, the ministry of Dave Ramsey. He, he does a lot of financial advice, helps people get out of debt. And in his material about personal finances, he, he uses a phrase called gazelle intense. And it's taken from the book of Proverbs chapter 6, where it says that if somebody found, finds himself in debt, it says to give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand 
of a fowler. And so Dave Ramsey picks up on that language, says, go gazelle and tents if you're in debt, get out as quickly as you can. Free yourself from the hand of the fowler. Escape from the snare because there is a way of escape. And, and that is the same image here that we have for sin in general, for temptation in general, to, to get out. Get out as quickly as you can. Don't linger. And so you can think about your life. What temptations are you facing? And the, the call is to, to flee, to get out. That if you're tempted to drink too much, then you flee. You make the decision to never drink again if that is what is necessary. Are you tempted to internet pornography? Flee, get rid of your internet, get rid of your phone, or sign up for something like Covenant Eyes, get accountability, you flee. Or are you tempted to neglect your family for work? Again, flee, look for a new job, look for a new vocation. You could go down the list of any sin, whatever it is in your life, that, that the call is to take it seriously, to not be apathetic to the temptation, but to take Decisive action. This is the marching order from the Apostle Paul. And of course, the, the, it's very similar to what Jesus says with slightly different imagery in the book of Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. He says that if your right hand causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. And so Jesus was not apathetic. He was not indifferent to the reality of sin and temptation. And I think we're, we're right to not see that as a literal command to go cut off your hand or to pluck out your eye. But yet we still see the, the, the power of the imagery that if using the fowler image again, that if you're an animal and you're in a trap, that animals will sometimes chew off their own leg to get out of the trap to save their lives. And Jesus is saying that we need that same kind of gazelle intensity when we face temptation, that we are to flee, we're to, to get out, we're to avoid the sin, to, to look for the way of escape that God has provided. And this imagery, it's not legalism. I think sometimes we think that if we have this intensity, this seriousness about the struggle of temptation, that we're being legalistic. But when applied correctly in the sense of a gospel, this is not legalism, but it's the intensity, part of the struggle that we're called to in the Christian life. Again, that's the first marching order, to flee. But then Paul gives a, a second marching order in verse 11. Look there again in your Bible. He says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. One of the, the best books on resisting sin and temptation is a short book by this 17th century theologian named John Owen. And, and the book is called The, the Mortification of Sin. And I, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's extremely useful in just thinking about what does it mean to battle sin and temptation in the Christian life. 
And he works in that book from Romans 8.13 that says that we should put to death the deeds of the flesh, to kill the deeds of the flesh, to mortify the deeds of the flesh. And so he's saying, what does that look like? How do we do this in a practical way? And one of his insights that I've always found useful in my own life is that as Christians, we can't simply focus on what not to do, on what sins we're avoiding. That sometimes we can become so focused on what we are running away from that we fail to actually pursue what is right and true and good. And what happens in that case is that as Christians, we become miserable, but then also we can begin to fall into the sin itself because that's all that we're thinking about. It's the, it's the classic, don't think about purple elephants. And what happens immediately is that you think about purple elephants, that, that there's something that if what we're thinking about and meditating on and filling our heart with is reflection on the sin that we're fleeing, then that is what's going to captivate our hearts. And I remember this in my violin performance days that one of my teachers said that when somebody's under pressure, when they're, when they're nervous, that you can't give them a negative command. If they're playing too loud and you start yelling, don't play loud, don't play loud, that inevitably what happens is that they start playing louder. <laughs> uh, and that because when they're under pressure, their brain can't translate the negative into the action. Okay, what does don't play louder actually mean? Well, it might mean use less bow. It might mean lighten your bow pressure. And so what they would encourage is if somebody is under pressure that you actually, yes, there is a negative aspect, what not to do, but if you can state it in a positive way, then they're actually able to apply it under pressure. And I think it's the same for us in our walk with Christ, that a, it's an unhealthy Christianity that is only a negative Christianity. It's an unhealthy spirituality that only focuses on what not to do. And it actually doesn't work, that if you focus only on what not to do, you're destined to fail and to fall back into the temptation. And that's why Paul is so balanced. He says, flee what is wrong, but while you're fleeing one thing, keep your eye on what you are pursuing. Positively, what are you seeking? He says to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And you can hear there the, the resonance with the fruit of the Spirit that we hear elsewhere in the New Testament. But you say, how do you pursue these things? You're, you're running away from what is wrong. You're pursuing what is right. How do you do it? And we can say that the only way to pursue these things is in Christ, by the Spirit, and through prayer. And you could take them individually. Take righteousness. How do you pursue righteousness? Well, you can only do it in Christ because he is the righteous one. That if you try to seek a righteousness in yourself, it will become a self-righteousness. And so what you do then is you look to Christ and to his righteousness, admitting that there is no righteousness that you can claim in yourself. And as you look to him by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can begin to pray, Lord, let me see myself as righteous, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And then begin to work righteousness in me that I can respond to your work for me, that, that it's in Christ, by the Spirit, through prayer. That's the only way that we can begin to pursue righteousness or take godliness. 
how do we begin to pursue godliness, to go after godliness? It's also in Christ, by the Spirit, through prayer, that, that through prayer we go to the Lord and admit to him that we are not righteous in and of ourselves. And we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can look to Jesus Christ as the only truly godly one in history and that in Christ we can begin to desire what is godly, what is true, that we can have this holy, reverent fear of the Lord, saying, Lord, please work this in me by your power. That's the only way to pursue godliness. Or take next faith and love. You say, how do I pursue faith and love? That it's by the Spirit, in Christ, through prayer, that you, you go to the Lord in prayer saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I think I have faith, but I don't have enough faith. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, strengthen my faith, strengthen my reliance in you so that I can face temptation, so that I can look for the way of escape, so that my faith will be a faith working through love and that it will overflow in love for neighbor, love for God, love for the church. Lord, let this characterize my life. That is how we pursue this in prayer. But then finally, how do we pursue steadfastness and gentleness? And it's the same in Christ, by the Spirit, through prayer, that we, we turn to the Lord, admit that we are not steadfast by nature, that we are prone to, to be blown around by every wind of doctrine, that we are not gentle by nature, that we are prone to be harsh. And then we look to this in Christ, that he is the gentle one. He is the steadfast rock upon which we can build our house. And we say, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, work steadfastness in me, work gentleness in me, that this becomes the, the daily prayer of our life. This is what we're praying for. This is what we're seeking. And the more we're focused on righteousness and godliness and faith and love and steadfastness and gentleness, the more that we aren't going to be interested in the temptation, the more we're not going to even think about the the sin, because we're going to have our, our hearts so captivated by the things of God that this is what's going to fill us up. This is both how we flee and we pursue. This is the, the second marching order that we see in our text, to pursue. But then here's the, the third marching order. So look at verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And then fight the good fight of the faith. So you see this imagery here to, to fight the good fight. And Paul uses the, the same language back in chapter 1 to, to wage the good warfare of the Christian life. And this could be athletic imagery pulling on the, the Olympic Games that Paul would have known about at his own time. But this could also be martial language, talking about warfare, to, to fight the good fight of the Christian life. And I couldn't help in thinking about fighting the battle that is before us, about Ukrainians, and, and so many people are talking about the, the bravery, uh, the, the desire for them to defend their homeland against Russian advancement. And that they're, they're fighting the fight against all odds, knowing that probably in the end they won't be successful, but yet they are willing to wage the warfare. 
But then you think about the Christian life that, that we know in Christ that victory is assured. We know that the victory is ours and that the call is to, to wage the battle of the Christian life, to fight the fight, to, to struggle in the Christian life against temptation and against false teaching, against all that would seek to undermine the truth of God's word. But of course, the, the battle of the Christian life isn't through military implements. It's not guns. It's not steel. It's not bombs. That the, the weapon of our warfare in fighting the good fight is the, the weapon of the word of God, the, the message of the sword of the spirit that is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it, and it is by that message of hope, of love, of, of faith, that the good news of the gospel, that, that we see hearts change, we see people come to know the Lord, because the gospel itself is the power of God for salvation. But yet, I think it's important to notice that, that as much as we're called to fight the good fight, to wage the good warfare of the Christian life, that we don't get to choose the war, that with, with war and struggle, the war comes to you, and the, the faithfulness means standing up in the midst of that challenge that is, you're confronted with. That, that in, you, again, think of Ukraine. They didn't choose the struggle that they're facing. They didn't choose the war, but yet they are called to fight. And it's the same in, in the Christian life, that each generation, each time, each place has unique struggles. And often I know that as, as somebody who loves church history, it's easy to desire the, the struggles and the battles of prior times and to not want to face the struggles of our own time because we see such wonderful examples throughout history of people fighting the good fight of the faith. You could think of Athanasius in the, the fourth century. He didn't choose his war, but the war that came to the doorstep of the church was a struggle over the divinity of Christ. Is Jesus truly God? And he was able to, to wage the good warfare, to defend the faith, to, to contend for the gospel that was once and all delivered to the saints. Or you can think of Martin Luther in the 16th century, that he didn't choose the war that he faced, but yet he was at a time where the clarity of the gospel had been lost during the medieval era. And yet he was called to, to proclaim the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Sure, it wasn't the war that he wanted to fight, but yet it was, he was faithful in the ministry that he was called to. Or you could think of someone like William Wilberforce in the 18th century. That he was at a time where men, women, and children were being sold from Africa around the world, and especially to the New World. And he didn't choose that war, but yet he waged the good warfare as a believer, contending against the, the slave trade and made a difference. Or you could think of somebody like J. Gresham Machen in the early 20th century, who was a, a pastor who saw that the anti-supernatural modernism that was taking hold in the church, and he didn't choose that particular war, but yet he, he contended, he fought the good fight, he led a movement of believers who were committed to the authority of Scripture. Or you could think of Corrie Ten Boom, who found herself under Nazi occupation, didn't choose this particular struggle, didn't choose this particular battle in her life. But yet, what did faithfulness look like for her? What did it look like to, to struggle, to not be apathetic, to contend for the faith that once for all was delivered to the saints 
but it meant hiding Jews in her home by taking risks, by, by facing the consequences for standing up for what is right. And of course, we look at those examples, and you could look at so many other examples. I mean, Helen has this little book. It's, I think it's 100 people that every child should know. And, and it has both secular figures, but also figures from church history. And I'm always encouraged reading her these, these stories. I mean, the ones I just listed are in that book. Many, many others who face challenges, who face battles in their own walk at this time. But you say, what struggles will you face? It could be a struggle and a battle that's unique to your life. It could be a cultural struggle. It could be any form of difficulty that comes into your life. And that the call here from the Apostle Paul is not to put our head in the sand. It's not to roll over and play dead. But the call is to fight the good fight of the faith, to contend for the faith, and to fight the fight with love and humility and gentleness and grace. That this is the the third marching order here from the Apostle Paul. But then here's the fourth and final marching order. So look at verse 11 again. He says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. There's the first marching order. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. That's the second marching order. Fight the good fight of the faith. There's the third marching order. And then finally, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So there you have the, the final marching order, which is to hold on, to, to take hold of eternal life. It's this very tactile image. You're, you're laying hold on it. You're not letting it go. And it reminds me of the, the image of water skiing. Uh, up at my wife's family in Minnesota, we would water ski sometimes in the summer. And I've only done it a handful of times, and it took me forever before I could actually get it, that I kept falling down over and over again. But one of the problems I had initially was that I wouldn't hold on to the rope tight enough that... You're there being pulled through the water slowly and you, you yell to the boat driver, hit it. If you're not holding on to that rope, then it gets pulled out of your hand. And so you have to, to take hold of the rope firmly or you're going to be left behind. And that's the, the same image here that he's saying, take hold of eternal life. Take hold of the, the, the hope that you have of, of sharing in, in, in the, 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 the gospel and the, the life that is to come, the eternal life that's both future, but then also present with you now through Christ. Don't let go of your calling. Don't let go in the face of temptation. Don't let go in the face of struggle. Don't let go in the face of the hardship of your life. Don't let go in the face of suffering or death. That, that he says to take hold of the faith, to take hold of eternal life to which you are called, and about which you made the good confession. That maybe you made the good confession at your, your baptism, or maybe you made the good confession at your first communion, or maybe you made the good confession when you recommitted your life to the Lord, when you made this confession of faith saying, I'm Christ, I'm following him. And what Paul's saying is hold fast to that conviction, hold fast to that promise, hold fast to those membership vows, 
to those marriage vows, whatever it is, to hold fast, to not let go, hold on to eternal life. Then ultimately, of course, we hold on to eternal life. We take hold of it because Christ is the one who takes hold of us, that we love because he first loved us. And this is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave himself for us. That, that if you find yourself with the ability to take out and to take hold of eternal life, you're doing that because he has his firm hold on you. And that even when you are tempted to let go of the rope, even when you're tempted to be left behind as the boat speeds ahead, that it is, it is Christ who is strengthening your hands on the rope. It is Christ that is strengthening your hands on the plow. It's, it's Christ who's given you the strength to endure, to face the challenges, to not be apathetic, because he is the one who lived the perfect life, died the sacrificial death, rose again from the dead to purchase us decisively in his life and his death and his resurrection. Let's pray. Father, today we pray against the apathy of our hearts, the desire to be comfortable, the desire to ignore what is going on in our lives or to ignore what is going on in the world. And so, Father, we pray for the, the clarity of heart that we see here in this text, that, that we are called to be men of God. We are called to be women of God. We are called to be people who see that we have been bought with a price, that we are not our own. And so, Father, let us today respond with a heart of obedience, that we would hear the marching orders of our King, that we would hear the marching orders to face the hardship of life. And, Father, give us the, the strength by the power of your Spirit in Christ through prayer that we would flee sin, that we would flee temptation. Give us the strength to pursue all that is right in Christ Give us the, the strength to, to fight the fight in, in love and humility, uh, to contend for the faith, to face the challenges of our time, our place, our individual lot in life. And Father, in all of it, we, we look forward to eternal life. And Lord, we pray for anyone here who has not taken hold of eternal life, anyone who has not repented and trusted in Christ, that you would give them the faith to, to take hold of eternal life for the first time. Because we know that, that heaven is eternal, uh, our eternal life is, is a free gift. It's not earned or deserved. It's, it's not something that we can acquire by our own strength because we're sinners and that we can't save ourselves. But we thank you for, for Jesus, that in your love and your mercy, you sent him to, to die, to rise again, to to purchase eternal life for us, to pay the penalty for our sin. And so, Father, we, we pray that we can lay hold of that. And for each one of us, for those who have made public professions of faith in the Lord Jesus, who have been baptized, who have been set apart for your kingdom, Father, that we would lay hold of eternal life, that it wouldn't be just an intellectual assent, but that it would be experiential, that we would hold on, never let go, and that we would do that through your strength, knowing that you are the one who is holding on to us. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.